Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. You're now tuned, of course, to BayFM uh, 99.9. You are tuned to BayFM, and you are now with Future Sense with myself, Nick Jeans, and my co-host, Steve McDonald. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing? Good morning, Nick. I'm well, and it's quite appropriate to have some crazy music playing this morning, I think, because Thank our, you. our theme today is looking at warning signs for 2020, some of the crazy ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, it's certainly getting very crazy out there. There are so many areas which you could look at in the news or in your personal experience, which I expect you are feeling like an expression that Steve quoted this morning, no maps for these territories. And it's a bit like that at the moment, I think, for many people. How do we find a way forward into uh, into the future from here? Yeah, exactly. So we've got a, a, well, not a shorter show because I'll still be here, but Steve's got to rush off halfway through the show this morning. Uh, catch a plane. Maybe you know something that I don't know. Are you escaping something quickly? <laughs> <laughs> preparing for 2020 by leaving the, leaving the country? <laughs> no, but you are going to a pretty extraordinary meeting tomorrow, and we have mentioned it before. Maybe uh, give a bit of a summary of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I am heading to Canberra mm. today for a, a meeting with the Governor-General early tomorrow morning yeah. to talk about psychedelic medicine, which I think is probably something he doesn't normally talk about very much. No, you won't hear this anywhere else on Australian radio, television or any other media or in the world that uh, this man over here, my co-host, Mr McDonald, is going to meet the Governor-General and talk about psychedelic medicines tomorrow. That's true. And this has come about, uh, I guess it's, it's been a bit of a a long road to to this meeting because I worked for the Governor-General many years ago when he was a commander in the army and I was one of his subordinates and uh, we spent some time in Africa uh, during the war in Somalia together and uh, I've been talking to him at reunions over the years just in little bits and pieces about psychedelic medicine research and the progress and particularly its relevance to Mm. Uh, issues that war veterans face and the recent documentary which I uh, took around Australia and screened together with our good friend Mitch Schultz from Texas uh, the the promotion from that or for that documentary uh, led to me uh, passing a message to the Governor-General about the, the documentary and then he extended an invitation me to come and have a chat to him about what's going on. So, and of course, that was from Shock to War, folks, which you'll be familiar right. with. And perhaps you were there and perhaps you have seen the movie. It is available now, actually, uh, to purchase online, I think, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's on it's on a few different platforms. I think Vimeo, uh, yep. Google Play, uh, Amazon, and uh, maybe another one as well. Yes. Well, that's going to be fantastic. And, so, yeah, uh, uh, be interesting to see report. Yeah. What, what might come out of the discussion, yeah. uh, at, at least, if nothing else, you know, uh, raising awareness uh, at yeah at uh, government level of what's going on, some of the breakthroughs happening, particularly um, the declaration or the, the designation in the US of breakthrough therapy status to a number of uh, psychedelics over the last couple of years. Yep. Yes, fantastic. And um, there's also the local movie that uh, we've talked about uh, called Green Light, which looks at uh, medicinal cannabis. So all of these areas of medicine, of these alternative or psychedelic medicines are moving forward. No doubt Australia's quite a long way behind 
but I have a feeling we might be uh, you might be injecting a little bit of uh, a bit of uh, intensity to that to that discourse tomorrow. Let's certainly say. trying to. We've had a, a, a good run of uh, psychedelic documentaries this year. We yes. dosed as well. Dosed as well. Also very yeah. good. Yeah, and uh, an idea that whose time has come. We're talking a little bit about exactly that today, I guess, in terms of going forward from here. Uh, what ideas, what uh, what can we do in terms of preparing ourselves for this very uncertain future moving forward? And uh, new ideas, radical ideas, are the ones possibly where some of the greatest uh, possibilities exist, along with also sometimes the, the maddest ideas that shouldn't be adopted whatsoever. So um, you might have seen today, interesting, with Isaac Folau, the, uh, the Australian uh, rugby player who's a preacher and has been preaching about the fires being a result of the, uh, the legislation for uh, gay marriage to be legal and for um, abortion to be, uh, to be more legalised in this country. And this is the cause of the fires, according to him. So that's as mad as hell and completely crazy. So we see both sides of the equation there. It's interesting, uh, 2020 is such, mm. uh, shaping up to be a, a year of people being called to account. That's the way it, it seems. And uh, and you can hear that theme in the language you were just talking about. Yeah. Just there. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see that kind of theme cropping up in different places. And, and when you see that, uh, you know, the same theme cropping up from very, very different sources and in different contexts, uh, those, those little signals are, are good mm. indicators of what might be coming down the track. And, of course... The, you, the, uh, the year 2020 as known of course 2020 vision is the term used for visual acuity in which the, no, the numerator refers to distance and the denominator refers to size so if you've got 2020 vision it's perfect vision but of course there's the expression hindsight is 2020 vision which is when someone has a realisation about the event that should have been obvious all along yet they didn't catch on because they were acting in the heat of the moment so in some ways, I think we're we're exactly at that place as we enter 2020. Mm. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Mm. Very interesting. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. You're tuned to Future Sense. It's 9.20 here, and we have a, a slightly shorter show today, although I'll still be here in the chair as Steve is flying off at about 10 o'clock this morning. Banking uh, is clearly a very good indicator uh, of uh, what's going on in the world, it would seem, especially with Deutsche Bank and the situation going on there. Quite extraordinary. It is, yeah. We'll have a a look at that uh, in detail right now. And and just looking from a a very, very large perspective at the overall collapse of the scientific industrial era, which is one of the main themes that we talk about on this show right now, Mm. it looks to be a descending chaotic path until around 2032. So that's quite a a number of years ahead Mm. of... uh, different stages of collapse and various trigger points uh, and 2020 is certainly shaping up to be a significant year in terms of trigger points uh, and uh, then we, we indications are that we may see a, a, a turning point around 2032 uh, where a whole lot of things come together and somehow shift the global perspective and the outlook in a positive way uh, and even between now and then, it's not all going to be bad news because ba- basically what we're looking at is the collapse of an old paradigm and the rise of a new paradigm simultaneously. And uh, right now, the the old scientific industrial paradigm and the systems that were developed uh, during the, those revolutions about 300 years ago uh, are still very dominant globally. So you look at all, our, all of our major social systems like economics, which we're going to look at in a moment, uh, you know, our po- politics... Uh, most of our social systems really have mm. come out of that scientific industrial way of thinking, and they're still uh, absolutely influential. 
And as they slowly collapse, they're going to become less influential and actually more problematic. And we're already seeing early signs yep. of that already, that they're creating more problems than they're solving, perhaps. And uh, simultaneously, the rise of what's going to replace them uh, is occurring, but of course it takes quite some time for those new systems to shake out their bugs and get to the point where they become significantly dominant mm. on a global scale. And one of the early stage systems, of course, is uh, cryptocurrency and yes. the use of blockchain, which, yep. which showed up relatively early. And uh, we'll, we'll see other systems rising, which may well replace our old political systems uh, and other systems as well. So very, very interesting time. And what we can bank on is a period when the old systems have collapsed to a certain point uh, and the new systems have risen to a certain point, but neither is really dominant, and that's going to be mm. a, a critical period. Very unstable time globally, and, and yeah, likely very unstable. Mm. And it's really it's up to us in terms of how much effort we put into building the new world and how early we start doing that, mm. as to how significant that critical period gets. But let's have a look at Deutsche Bank, which is in the news uh, right now. So, recent media reports are alleging that it has filed for bankruptcy. And Deutsche Bank is one of the world's 10 largest banks. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been on a downhill slide for quite some time. There were very early signs in 2015 when it was hit with a 2.5 billion US dollar fine mm. as a result of its involvement in what was called the LIBOR scandal, which, is, uh, which involved manipulation of interbank lending interest rates. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the same year that it was hit with that enormous fine, it was also ordered to pay $257 million in penalties for doing business with countries that were under US sanctions at the time. Uh, and uh, consequently recorded a record that's, loss. That's a moving feast, that one. <laughs> yeah, isn't Sanctions it? that are imposed by the US on one country or another for various uh, I know. personal reasons. I know, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that's that was sort of early signs of a big slide. Mm. And then the International Monetary Fund uh, was the first to really step out in public and warn that Deutsche Bank is the largest contributor to systemic risk for the global financial system. And they said if Deutsche Bank quivers, the rest of the global financial system will shake. So, Sounds like uh, a song, doesn't it? That's right. The next year in 2016, uh, both the German finance minister and the bank's CEO spoke out in the media saying that the bank was rock solid and everything was fine. And as a result of that announcement, their share price dropped 22% in value. <laughs> Plausible deniability. That, that's right. I mean, any time a government minister stands, stands up and says, everything's fine, you don't need to worry about this. Nothing then, to see here. Nothing course, to see. Everybody looks at what they're talking Go about. Go back to your television sets and your sport and your, your drugs, your legal ones, and everything's okay. Exactly. Have a beer. Have a beer. Um, and uh, the, the share price, the bank's share price, is down 84% yeah. since its all-time high in 2007, which is quite a big slide, and uh, it's uh, it's been compared to the uh, collapse of Lehman Brothers. So I, I just looked at a chart this morning where someone has plotted the the slide in share value of Lehman Brothers up to the global financial crisis. And of course, Lehman Brothers were were really a major trigger of the global financial crisis yes. in 2008. And someone's overlaid the sliding share price of Deutsche Bank on this same chart. And by golly, it looks Pretty like identical a, a mirror image. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, they have predicted that if the share price continues to slide at this same rate, then it will reach $0 by 15th of January 2020. 
Yes, which is an interesting time. We've identified already ourselves uh, that middle of January coming up next year. And for those of you who are into things like astrology, it's a very strong astrological time, the conjunction of Saturn and Pluto at that time and other factors as well. It does indicate something going on uh, from uh, in that particular reflection. You may not be into that, but it's nevertheless just part of the equation to look at the various signs and signals that you can see in, in both the, the, the very sort of traditional ordinary structures such as graphs of, of profit and loss and, uh, and the movement of, uh, of the outer planets, big stuff. And apart from the astrology, we sometimes uh, quote Armstrong Economics and their computerized prediction model, mm. which has a, a really solid record of being accurate, which is uh, quoting an economic turning point on the 18th of January. Yeah. So that, that's very interesting as well. Yes. Uh, quite a few indicators from different sources coming together there. Mm. And uh, their economic turning point uh, is saying that we'll be entering an inflationary phase after the middle of January. 2020, uh, primarily due to commodity shortages, uh, which cause rising prices, and that also links to some other news that we've got to, to mm. talk about this morning about uh, potential food shortages. Yes. But uh, poor old Deutsche Bank is currently facing 7,000 regulatory actions and lawsuits, and uh, it has, of course, 7,000. It's only 7,000. <laughs> and it, of course, it has a long history of hiding uh, losses, and uh, it's, it's reached the point now where the losses have got so big it's too hard to hide them and of course because its value is sliding no one wants to buy any of its assets uh, so that it uh, might like to, to sell off and try and fix things up so it's not looking good at all um, they say that uh, if it does collapse it will impact the European Union particularly heavily yep. and of course the, the world's central banks are running out of levers to pull to try and adjust the economy and save the economy from its uh, nosedive at the moment so uh, it's shaping up to be a very, very dire uh, situation all around uh, with, uh, with global consequences and may well be uh, the trigger for another global financial crisis, but we'll, we'll find out uh, in January or soon. soon after. Mm. But they, the, the, uh, the commentators are saying that we ought to be seeing even clearer messages probably by late December this year that, that something's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, someone has just texted in. Of course, our text line, folks, and many of you regular listeners know exactly what it is. It's 043734 We have a text in. Hi, guys. Reminds me of the saying, if you own a gun, you can rob a bank. If you own a bank, you can rob everyone. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> In fact, I looked up this morning a piece by Robert Reich, who's an American economist. You would have known his name, professor, author, and political commentator. He was serving in the administrations of Presidents Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, and Bill Clinton, also an advisor to Barack Obama's Economic Transition Advisory Board. And he has said, as a man with you know that sort of heavy weight of real sort of supposedly part of the establishment, he says there are basically five ways to accumulate a billion dollars in America probably also true in Germany. These are one, profiting from a monopoly, two, insider trading, three, political payoffs, four, fraud, and five, inheritance. So, yeah, I mean, when you get people like that, of that sort of authorities stating, uh, stating what to many of us is kind of the bleeding obvious, you know that things are being revealed. Yeah, that's right. And uh, wherever you're listening uh, to us, mm. whether, whether it be live uh, to our radio broadcast or listening to the podcast later, if you look in your local country, you'll probably find local signs of mm. uh, economic problems either approaching or happening right now. And 
in recent news here in Australia, just on Friday, uh, our ABC News reported insolvency practitioners uh, offering a stark warning to Australian businesses, get your affairs in order, bad times are ahead. And uh, they're seeing record liquidations at the moment, mm. which is a, a really bad indicator. Mm. And uh, and we've, there's been lots of lots and lots of news coming. In fact, I've been looking at uh, a potential global financial crisis for a number of years, and I, in fact, I expected it to happen a couple of years ago, to be really honest, because I was in uh, in the US uh, at the Arlington Institute, and we had a, a meeting with some folks from Washington who were uh, compiling economic data for the US government. Uh, they were an independent organization that was set up soon after the 2008 global financial crash, yeah. crash uh, a, a non-profit organization that uh, decided they'd try and monitor the economic data more carefully to predict the next crash. And uh, if I remember rightly, this was, uh, I think, 2016, I was having a conversation with them and they were saying that the indicators were as bad back then as they were immediately before the 2008 global financial crisis. So I, that led me to think that we were very, very close back then. But uh, markets are a, are a tricky thing and it really comes down to sentiment, you know. And I, I think because we'd be, things had been that bad before, people weren't quite so panicked. Uh, and so they they just waited to, to see <laughs> slide it even further uh, into the red before uh, panicking. And it seems that panic is getting pretty close right are now. Are you selling? Are you, are you selling? <laughs> Who, right. Who's selling? No, no, let's just hang on this time. <laughs> God, yeah. crazy. Oh, my God. We'll take a break here. You're tuned to Future Sense. It's 9.31 with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking Future Sense here on Bay FM. You're tuned to Future Sense right now. It's 9.39 with Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans, through till 11 o'clock this morning. Well, Steve's going to be out of the door in about half an hour or so. Um, Last week's Echo, current Echo, has an editorial by guest editor Aidan Ricketts, uh, who's well known in the area, an activist, um, an academic over there in Lismore. And he talks there about a thing called the Overton window, which I hadn't uh, heard of before, but I think it's relevant to today in terms of the political discourse and the window of opportunity of change that uh, seems to be ever um, closing on us in this country and in many countries with uh, with the, the inability to broaden the discourse, the public discourse about how we're going to deal with the many issues that we have going forward into 2020 and beyond. And the Overton window is a range of ideas tolerated in public discourse, also known as the window of discourse. It was uh, named after Joseph Overton, who stated that an idea's political viability depends mainly on whether it falls within this range, rather than on politicians' individual preferences, which is interesting. According to Overton, the window contains the range of policies that a politician can recommend without appearing too extreme to gain or keep public office in the current climate of public opinion. Uh, Later on, a further commentator, Joshua Trevino, postulated that the degrees of acceptance of public ideas roughly fall in this sequence. First of all, they're unthinkable. Secondly, they're radical. Thirdly, they become acceptable. Then they become sensible. Then they become popular. And then they become policy. And shifting the Overton window involves proponents of policies outside the window persuading the public to move and or expand it. Proponents of current policies or similar ones within the window seek to convince people that policies outside it should be deemed unacceptable, and we seem to be really in that uh, in that lock 
and uh, and at the moment with uh, with most of our governments in Western cultures, that we we're not really being able to broaden that discourse, whether it's about climate, for example, uh, or economics, even even though the statistics are starting to mount up to show us that things aren't right, things are looking shaky, things are not uh, not easily. Um, determined anymore. Yeah, of course, it depends which statistics you're looking at, the real ones or the fake ones, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. yes, well, there's that too. And of but course, the, fake news is sort of part of the Overton window, I guess you could say now too. That's right. Mm. And look, it, it very much fits with the uh, the profile of the value shift that's taking place as we move beyond the scientific industrial era and that way of thinking. We are actually going through a regressive value search, and this is a, a normal change dynamic in a mm. complex system where it will uh, trend in the opposite direction before making a, a large yeah. change. And so uh, as we come to the realisation that our scientific industrial way of life is no longer working for us, the normal human response, and this is an evolutionary dynamic, is to look backwards to previous times when things were okay mm. and values were working. And we, we don't look back to the, to the scientific industrial era, we look back before that. Yeah. And so our thinking and our values are regressing back to agricultural era and even beyond in some cases. And that's reflected in uh, a rigid mindset where we look to absolute truths and try and find absolute truths and hang on to those. And, and that rigidity results in uh, very, very sort of uh, narrow thinking and saying, mm. no, no, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, and uh, intolerance of, of shades of grey and intolerance of, of open discourse, really. Uh, and, and we're certainly hearing that in, in many um, public debates right now, particularly yeah. climate, as you said. You know, you can see the, the religious flavour to, to the words, you know, in public debate there, of, yeah. of even just the label, you know, believers or deniers. You know, you're either yes. a believer in climate change or you're a denier. Um, you, you could substitute the, the topic, whatever it is, for God. Yeah, well, I certainly have a. I personally have a problem with the word denialist because, of course, it does in in inflect infer the Holocaust, Holocaust denialism, and uh, when you put the words climate and denial together, I think that is definitely problematic. It's going a little too far. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's the result of people really clutching at straws, uh, trying to get a point across. Uh, so um, we're just going to talk a little bit about the weather. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like everybody else on the planet just about that's right or we, not we need we, we have a recording that we play sometimes which says the host of this program is not a doctor we, we actually need a new one nick if you could talk to uh, the station uh, we'll record it well we have this one here bay fm wishes to advise that the views expressed in this program are not necessarily the views of the bay fm management committee volunteers operational staff or members that covers it that, that's good. I like that. I, I, we don't really need one that says the host no. of this program isn't a climate scientist. <laughs> anyway, um, as, as you might anticipate, our, uh, our perspective here is, is not necessarily in line with the, the mainstream hysteria uh, around this issue. But what we are really interested in is looking at what's actually happening in the world right now yeah. and identifying those uh, emerging things which are signs of, what, of you know, what's to come mm. for, for the uh, for the whole world. And through an understanding of change dynamics, we know that when we go through transformational change on a large scale, there are small pockets of society that 
lead the change, you know, and uh, yeah. they start thinking in more complex ways, their values shift, and they are the, the pathfinders for the rest of us. And so by looking for those little pockets and with the benefit of, of the wonderful research of Dr. Claire de W. Graves, uh, who studied this stuff for many, many years, yeah. uh, we have a, a reasonable knack of identifying where those real trends lie. And one of the trends we're seeing at the moment is, um, as Nick just pointed out, a, a strong trend in public narrative, uh, which includes uh, a lot of fear-fueled uh, debate. And of course, we know that the human brain behaves differently when it becomes fearful. We tend to shut down our logical thinking processes uh, and become more emotional in our expression. And we're certainly seeing that in some of the key uh, spokespeople yes. around the world talking about climate issues. Uh, another trend in the public debate is the unscientific use of science, <laughs> saying things like the science is settled, the science is closed, when in fact if something's settled or closed it's actually not science, <laughs> it's dogma, yeah. uh, because science is always an open discussion about what's happening right now and the, the evidence that we have compared to new emerging evidence and changing theories is a constant thing in science. Uh, so anytime anyone's trying to shut down debate uh, and using science as an excuse, it's not science. Mm. And a lot of that's to do with, uh, currently, with all these issues, I think, is to do with complexity and the unwillingness to, to receive and accept a, a greater degree of complexity in these kind of debates, that there are many other factors that may not be included. We don't know all the evidence. We're dealing with uh, a complex system when it comes to the weather, to climate, which is, despite our amazing science on this planet, yes, at the moment, is pretty well beyond our ken to truly understand right now. Yeah. And uh, the public narrative that we're seeing at the moment, this rigidity in, mm. in the debate, can be explained by this regressive value search that I was talking about earlier, where we're going back to older values, which tend to be more black and white. Mm. Uh, and uh, th there's also some suggestion, and this is, this is simply speculation on my part, that uh, the public debate may be uh, manipulated by the old paradigm powers uh, to serve some agenda that they have, but we don't have any necessarily concrete evidence on that no. at the moment. There's certainly a pattern of thinking displaying in the linear trend being presented in the public debate, and that linear trend does not represent uh, leading-edge thinking at all. In fact, it represents ignorance of the nature of complex systems change, which is never linear in its path. Mm. So there's a whole bunch of things going on there uh, pointing to the need to remain curious, and we're not pretending that we know exactly what's going to happen, unfortunately. I wish we did. But uh, what we do know is that uh, we need to be curious and we need to be looking at all the evidence that is available to us so that we can continue to adjust our understanding over time. But what's happening right now is that uh, there's a lot of cold weather in North America once again and there are records being broken over there. And uh, I have a report here from weather.com about something called the Accumulated Winter Season Severity Index, which is put out by the Midwest Regional Climate Centre in the USA. And uh, they're looking at the current early cold weather being experienced in North America, uh, similar to last winter. And uh, they've reported that over 70 cities from the Great Basin and Rockies to the Plains, Midwest and Eastern Great Lakes have seen an extreme uh, start to uh, the winter in the USA, and it's not actually winter yet there officially. Mm. So that's that's a, a pretty big indicator. Over 70 cities uh, reporting extreme weather. 
Um, and this index, uh, also known as the Winter Misery Index in the USA, <laughs> really <laughs> takes into account the intensity and persistence of cold weather, the frequency and amount of snow and the amount and persistence of snow mm. on the ground, uh, and uh, includes uh, reports of wind and mixed precipitation, including freezing, oh, sorry, wind and mixed precipitation such as freezing rain are not a part of the index. Uh, so it uses um, five categories, mild, moderate, average, severe, and extreme. Uh, and uh, they're, they're reporting extreme this year. So there's a whole bunch of records being broken there. And uh, this is a, a bit of a repeat of what happened last winter. So we, we've been talking a fair bit this year on the show about uh, the crop growing season in North America yes. being cut short due to the early onset of winter and the, and the late uh, onset of summer and uh, many, many consequences on the agricultural industry, mm. in, including uh, frozen ground, you know, at the time when farmers normally start planting their summer crops and uh, floods from the meltwater, meaning that they can't get access to the fields. Uh, and uh, then late planting, which means that the you know the crops don't Less have yield. Uh, enough time to provide a normal yield, mm. and consequent shortages. Uh, and I, I think probably the the largest reported shortage from last growing season was uh, in in corn. Um, one of the staple crops of, yeah, uh, of the uh, of the world at the moment, which is, but it, it wasn't the only one. And and, mm. uh, and so this cold weather that we're seeing is uh, in line with what we would expect to see during what they call grand solar minimum. So our sun is just entering right now a period called grand solar minimum. And what that means is that the sun uh, is going quiet in terms of its, if it's, of its activity. And uh, this happens every solar cycle, of course, which, which they, they run uh, roughly about 11 years, but yep. there is a variation. They're not always exactly 11 years mm. long. And we see that uh, raising and lowering of so solar activity during every solar cycle. But then every three or 400 years, there's something called a grand solar minimum, which is a larger cycle, which sits over and above the normal shorter cycles. And we're just entering a grand solar minimum right now. And when the sun's activity reduces, what it means is that there are fewer sunspots and the solar wind, which, which normally uh, is projected over the earth from the sun and provides protection uh, in a number of ways to the earth, particularly from the impact of cosmic ray, uh, rays from uh, outer space. Um, and uh, that typically impacts our climate and weather and uh, and the things that we expect to see and have seen during previous grand solar minimum periods are an increase in cold weather uh, even uh, to the extent of many ice ages during previous periods such as uh, the Dalton and uh, Dalton uh, minimum and morning minimums which occurred during uh, normal solar cycles not during the grand solar minimum um, and also drought. So it's it's not a linear trend where it just gets cold and snowy everywhere. Yeah, I think it's important that we're not saying that because clearly yeah. the extremes are becoming more extreme. That's what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Extremes in, in both uh, yeah. directions during the change. And yeah. that's normal for change in a complex system that you get performance spikes in both directions. Mm. And uh, and during periods of, um, ex grand, uh, of uh, many ice ages, for example, an extreme cold, Typically, it doesn't get cold everywhere on the planet. There are parts of the planet that have uh, shown warming during 
times when the Northern Hemisphere, for example, was experiencing a mini ice age. And, and certainly, uh, and I'm guessing this is because a lot of moisture from the Earth's atmosphere gets locked up in snow and ice, uh, there are periods of extreme drought and we're seeing that happening right now. Yeah, so uh, yeah. it's, it's looking like Australia may be facing an extended drought now along with other countries. Uh, and certainly um, that's been contributing to the widespread fires that we've been seeing, uh, not just in Australia, but also overseas in places like California. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who might not be monitoring the, the news in Australia, we're in the middle of a, a, uh, a, a bushfire crisis here. Much earlier moment. than usual and quite extreme across the east coast of Australia and also in Western Australia. Yeah, no and in the last week or two, uh, there have been 500 homes mm. lost uh, in bushfires mm. uh, in New South Wales mm. alone, which is our state here. So uh, extreme weather and uh, this grand solar minimum period is forecast to last up until around 2055. So this is not a short-term thing that we're facing here. Mm. And uh, it's something that we are going to have to adapt to in serious ways. Mm. Uh, and I guess that's our point here is rather than look at the, 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 the linear, the evidence for some sort of linear change, which we would suggest perhaps you should broaden your thinking if you think that way, uh, we're going to have to adapt on this planet to a much more complex and extreme range of uh, events that occur that impact us in all sorts of ways and that to assume that one direction that we need to go in is the only way to go is uh, perhaps uh, rather naive at this point in time. We actually need to start taking in the, the much bigger picture and the much more long-range picture, which is not something we do very easily on this planet, especially in our in our first world countries in uh, recent times in the in the industrial era. No, that's right. And it's a very complex issue, mm. uh, which is, is further complicated by uh, the use of computer models to try and predict what's happening with the climate. And uh, those computer models are simply the result of someone's ideas being programmed into a computer and then the computer runs its program and produces a result. And they are quite disconnected from the reality of what's actually happening. And, and so it's it's becoming more and more important to look at what's actually happening in the day-to-day -day weather reports mm. and then you know, draw conclusions from that and mm. looking, like, as we've just mentioned, at things like an unusually cold uh, winter in Europe and North America last year and now signs of what could be another unusually cold winter. Uh, and I, I do believe that they've had to dig into some uh, food reserves and particularly probably corn in the yeah. US as a result of last winter's crop losses. And you only need a few years of this happening when you know for it to develop into a serious crisis. Yeah. Well, of course, a lot of those crops are, are grown to feed animals for for human that, consumption. Right. So yeah, that exactly. whole equation will change significantly over the coming years. Should these should these uh, effects occur, as uh, Steve is articulating here? Yeah, and and there are some predictions, uh, for example, from Professor Valentina Zarkova, who we've mentioned a few times previously on the program. Uh, of uh, global food shortages mm. by around 2028 that will require major preparation uh, to avoid uh, loss of life and extreme hardship on a global scale. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's, it's just becoming extremely important uh, to be open-minded and curious and to take note of what is actually happening uh, in day-to-day -day 
reports rather than uh, computer predictions, which which may or may not be accurate. And of course, the response which we often talk about here is about local resilience. How can you firm up? Can, how can you make your own community resilient, your own uh, source of food, uh, your own source of water, all those necessities? And uh, we're a long way behind. The value of water on this planet has been completely underestimated, as we as we know. It's been used and bought and uh, sold in all sorts of various ways, which uh, which are not conducive to a long term pl- strategy for uh, for watering the planet or the plants upon it. And we're now in a in a structure where uh, that is is at a crisis point as well. Yeah. Let's take another break. You've got to go pretty soon. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. You're going to have to go now. Time flies. I know. I'll come back for a few. All minutes. right. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. 10 o'clock here on BFM on Future Sense. And uh, thanks for joining us here. And uh, thanks for a couple of texts coming in. And we'll come to those uh, if need be. We've uh, Steve is leaving in about 10 minutes. So we're going to wrap up uh, this particular little piece this morning here. A piece from Al Jazeera uh, from a couple of weeks ago was uh, talking about street po- protests around the world, as we all know, so many of them going on. And uh, the Al Jazeera reports thus, the alarming spread of street protests and civil unrest across the world in recent weeks looms large on the radar of global financial markets. We talked about Deutsche Bank before, with investors wary that the resulting pressures on stretched government budgets will be one of many consequences. Money managers and risk analysts seeking a common thread between often unconnected sources of popular anger from Hong Kong to Beirut and Cairo to Santiago reckon the unrest is particularly worrying following years of modest economic growth and relatively low joblessness. It is, if as many fears, the world is slipping back into its first recession in more than a decade, then the root causes of restive streets will only deepen and force embattled governments to loosen purse strings further to find better employment, education, healthcare and other services to placate protesters. Yeah. Very interesting. And uh, if you've just tuned in, we're talking about warning signs for 2020, so indicators of problems ahead. Uh, as we approach the end of the year now in 2019 and we've been speaking about uh, potential economic disruption particularly early in 2020 uh, and uh, perhaps the collapse of Deutsche Bank being a a major trigger for that. I've also been talking about extreme weather which is nothing new of course it's been in the news a lot lately and uh, it seems that there's more to come with an unusually early start to winter in uh, North America. And uh, as you just mentioned, Nick, uh, increasing civil unrest, and that seems to be another trend that may continue next year. Yeah. Uh, Hong Kong, of course, has been uh, very much in the news. There was a, a recent report suggesting that it was close to collapse in the mainstream media. Uh, whether that's true or not, it's hard to say. Um, as I've said a couple of times uh, on the show, I think it's quite likely that there are foreign powers uh, stirring the pot in Hong Kong. Uh, you know, I've got no doubt that there's a lot of uh, dissatisfaction and unrest there with proposed changes being put forward by the Chinese government. Uh, but also, I think, given that there's a, a trade war and uh, quite possibly a cyber war and other uh, versions of unseen warfare going on uh, between superpowers at the moment, particularly China and, and the US, mm. um, you know, if I was one of those superpowers and I was wanting to cause trouble, then 
I would be looking for seeds of trouble that can be watered yeah. uh, and nurtured, and certainly Hong Kong is a great example of that. So if, um, if there's not some foreign intervention stirring the pot in Hong Kong at the moment, uh, I, would, yeah. I would eat my hat if I had one here. Well, Hang Seng, one of Asia, Asia's most prominent share markets, is down 12% since the protests there started. It stabilised slightly, but there you go. There's an economic, uh, clear, strong, powerful economic uh, result of those protests, which benefits somebody out there for sure. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, of course, that's not the only uh, centre of civil unrest around mm. the world. There's been widespread uh, protests, uh, particularly organised by Extinction Rebellion, yeah. calling for action on climate change. And uh, there's no reason why that won't continue into next year. Um, and uh, an alarming report that I just picked up on in uh, from Sweden, a report of grenades uh, being used in street violence in Sweden, um, okay, and uh, seen that. they mm. they are apparently uh, surplus muni- muni- munitions which have filtered into the country from uh, problems in Eastern Europe, warfare in Eastern Europe, and uh, this particular report talks about uh, one particular gentleman who was uh, riding his bicycle home with his wife and uh, saw an object on the ground, stopped and picked it up and uh, it turned out to be an M75 hand grenade manufactured in uh, Yugoslavia Mm. Um, and uh, it exploded and killed him and uh, and apparently it's not the first time, apparently there's there's been uh, 30-something grenades uh, turn up in Sweden uh, being used in street violence there which is really alarming Yeah, uh, Well I think part of that, um, maybe it's not this but I think one of the things that's been in the media a little bit in regards to Sweden in particular having received many Middle Eastern refugees in the last few years and this, this incredible increase in refugees coming from all over the place but particularly from cultures and countries which don't uh, don't understandably have the same cultural uh, in, in, um, uh, st- stability as a country like Sweden. And the interface between those cultures becomes problematic and probably has been ignored or certainly has not been dealt with or not faced adequately by those generous countries like Germany and Sweden, some others who've received many refugees in this time. Yeah, certainly uh, Sweden's far right wing party has been blaming yeah. the problems on liberal immigration policy. Yeah. And uh, and even uh, President Trump has weighed in, saying that uh, Sweden is having problems like they thought never thought possible due to large numbers of immigrants. Yeah. Uh, what the truth is, who knows? But certainly, uh, police um, are attributing it to uh, gang violence uh, and a failure of integration. Yeah. And um, I just found some numbers in the article here: uh, forty-five grenades were seized by police, uh, going back as far as uh, twenty fifteen. Yeah. That report is from and. Uh, and then uh, in 2017, there was a, a slight decrease. 39 were seized and 21 were detonated. But, I mean, that's alarming. 21 grenades being detonated in a country like Sweden. Yeah, yeah. You see it in Iraq yeah. and Afghanistan or countries like that, of course. But um, Let's hope it's not a sign of things to come. Mm-hmm. But, but certainly, generally, uh, we I think we can uh, quite reasonably expect an increase, a continuing increase in civil unrest around the world next year. And, of course, this all harks back to the value shift that's going on. Uh, as a result of our transition out of the scientific industrial era into what's next. And that transition is essentially being driven by increasing complexity and the tension that creates within our life conditions, which is driving people to call for change and to want change. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, we're going to have to let you go, I think. Yeah, I'm going to have to slip away. Um, it's uh, you know, it's not always we have a, a show that focus on focuses on the downside of the change, but I think it's important not to ignore that. And and certainly, yeah. what we've discussed today, uh, impending financial uh, issues, it seems, uh, extreme weather and uh, increasing civil unrest are things that we need to keep in mind, and we need to start to think about mm. adapting to and dealing with in in different ways yeah. on a global scale. Excellent. Thanks, Steve. We'll be with you next week, and uh, a report from the, the Governor-General will be exciting and uh, a one-off here. That's right. I'll you, try and get a photo. Uh, yeah, try and get a photo. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.